a better future podcast building a better future one change at a time okay so a bit of a different episode we've got for you this time around uh we were me and corin recorded uh an interview with dawn quite some time ago all about forest schools um and we're just basically going to play that in full so hopefully you enjoy it and um learn a bit more about sort of nature and and health and the environment and things thanks We're fortunate to have Dawn um, come and talk to us about her plastic-free lifestyle in one of the earlier podcast episodes. Um, and it's great to have her back to talk about um, all of the amazing stuff she does in her career because there's some brilliant things she does with children and young people and um, generally encouraging people to learn about the environment and, and become the future's environmentalist. So, Dawn, tell us a bit more. Oh, nice to be back. Thank you, Jay. Um, yeah, I've uh, always been interested in the outdoors and nature and environmental things, as I said uh, when I spoke to you previously. Um, and by a very roundabout, convoluted route, I uh, ended up in my career now and working as an education officer for the local Wildlife Trust, delivering all kinds of outdoor education, including forest school. And I also get to train adults as forest school leaders, which is fantastic. It's become a real passion. Um, the big driver for me is the huge gulf between everyday folk and nature. Mm-hmm. And we see that in the actions and choices and decisions that people make in their everyday lives. And we also see that in a huge rise in not only physical um, um, ailments, you know, and, and, and the drop in physical health, but also a huge decrease in people's positive uh, mental health and well-being so it's something I've always been really passionate about is connecting people back to hopefully their local green and outdoor spaces Mm -hmm. Um, part of my forest my own forest school learning journey was to realize how uh, much smaller children's spaces are so our roaming distances have uh really really contracted Mm -hmm. over the last 50 years Um, and children's access to local green space has also really really contracted and that's a real challenge to find ways to allow children what they need in an outdoor environment due to buildings so it's you know 80 percent of the population in this country are urban Mm -hmm. so that's a you know that's a constant shift that would become a more urban population over the last 50 years and, and, and previously um what i call spaces for kids so those kind of scrubby corners and wild spaces that nobody mm-hmm. really looked after have yeah. yeah you're right often been built on or used yeah. for other purposes even back gardens you know if you're living somewhere you don't have access to a garden or a park um sometimes they're not the greatest green space or they're not actively looked after in terms of wild spaces so yeah lots of different reasons increasing cars and traffic and roads in general also you know you might have been able to access a green space previously but now there's a busy main road there Mm -hmm. so those children aren't going to do that particularly independently um so lots and lots of barriers really one of the big ones is um, perception of risk uh from parents and carers okay so lots of the risks haven't changed yeah Mm -hmm. 
for instance, Stranger Danger. Yeah. That's always been the same. Statistically, that happens. And it's it's sort of dropped dramatically as yeah. well, the stats in occurrences. Of- yeah. But because of the way that the media portrays those cases that do happen, mm-hmm. um, it's perceived as a much higher risk in, in people's uh, minds. Yeah. Um, and also the fact that, you know, I'm an auntie, I would never want my nephew to hurt himself or be unsafe, but there is a certain um, things that children need to go through to learn about managing their own risks. They need to be involved in doing risky things, yeah. whether that's tree climbing yeah. or, you know, crossing a stream, etc., mm-hmm. etc. They need to do that to develop some of those skills. Yeah. So, yeah. So you've been doing it a long time, so yeah. you've lost a few children, a few have died. <laughs> or... <laughs> I had one child step into a pond and I've never lived it down. <laughs> uh, one, one time only. And he'd been pond dipping in it previously for an hour, so he knew it was quite deep water. But he yeah. dropped his net and then stepped over the fence to get it and disappeared <laughs> up to his middle um, and looked surprised, which... Uh, surprised me to be honest <laughs> so but, uh, you got a big was... net <laughs> but the look of surprise and yeah. being a bit chilly was as worse as you yeah. know that was as bad as but he got. was a hero to the rest of the school yeah. for the rest of the day so that's all good probably into senior school absolutely <laughs> do you remember that day you stepped in the pond <laughs> but he probably um, learnt more than anyone from that you know yeah. he, kids yeah. are kind of inherently they take risks that's yeah. kind of what the Part of how they learn, isn't it? I guess in management, you have to manage them so they don't get too risky, don't you? Yeah, so this is the thing. So in particularly in my professional context, you know, we have a duty of care to the children and young people, adults that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. So everything that we do will be risk assessed, Mm -hmm. um, both prior to something happening and on the day. So we do something called a dynamic risk assessment where we're looking at the weather conditions, the age and development of the children or people that we're seeing and the activities that we're delivering. Something that's key to forest school, though, is something called a dynamic risk process, and that's getting the children involved in that too. So when I mentioned tree climbing, for instance, now you might think, well, children are just going to work that out. And if we played and had the same social structures as we used to and Mm -hmm. access to green space, then children will do that. They might be learning from older peers Mm -hmm. because people, uh, children would have been playing with a wider range, age range of children. Um, But... In a forest school context, I kind of take the place, or my um, adult helpers take the place of those more knowledgeable peers. So we might get the children to consider certain things. So is it raining? Are you wearing your wellies? Mm -hmm. Um, Is there a branch that you can easily get onto? How high are you going to go? Can you get down? Is yeah. there thing under, are there things underneath the tree if you did fall that you're going to land on? So stones or bricks or other branches. Okay, yeah. So it's talking them through all of those things mm-hmm. to give them the skill set then to go out and climb a tree yeah. anywhere else and so be as safe anyway, as they can. But, but now they're thinking about it. So there's always going to be a risk of climbing a tree that you're going to fall out. Yeah. But it's about how bad that you know outcome yeah. might be. Yeah. So it's about getting those children to realise that they've got to go through that process themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to be, you know, to play. Someone's not always going to be there. Someone's not always going to be there. And actually, part of their cognitive development, they need to problem solve and think those things through, really. And it's also about translating um, one set of skills from a given place and a given time Mm -hmm. to somewhere else. Generalising it. Exactly. Lots of the children that I teach, particularly now, um, have special educational needs of some description mm-hmm. um, and that's really been brilliant for me as a practitioner because I have to really think about and question yeah. everything that I'm doing yeah. and often change those things 
often in the moment yeah. to be suitable for those learners. So I learn a huge amount. I, I think I learn more from those children and individuals than they ever learn from me, really. Yeah. So that's yeah. what makes the job so rewarding. So um, if you, you kind of hear these stories about, you know, we hear about America, but kind of over here that there's kids who have never seen a, a tree. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> do you have, have you had any weird stories yeah, like that? Yeah, so we have visitors to the to the nature reserve from all over so sadly it is somewhere that children need to get to by usually by coach or bus yeah. or mini bus our public transport links aren't great sadly and i've had quite a number of children over the years who might have come out from southampton or portsmouth yeah. to really big urban um, centers in hampshire um, who've never been under trees before. So going into the woodland at seven, eight, nine years old, yeah. they would feel uncomfortable, anxious about heading into the woodland, okay. particularly in the height wow. of summer with a closed canopy. Yeah. Um, and I've had to just have a quiet word and, and try and figure out what's going on there mm-hmm. um, to make them feel less anxious about that and to access yeah. what we're doing. And it pulls me up short every single time because for me that's something that is I'd never even considered... Yeah. as being a privilege yeah, before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I scoffed as if Jay just asked a stupid question. Yeah. I didn't realise that that yeah. would be a thing. Yes, yeah, so it's a really yeah, big thing. And that must be incredible to be there for that moment. Absolutely. And it's those small things where I think actually that could make a real difference to somebody's life going forward, whether it's, you know, the first time you've taken your shoes and socks off and had your feet on the grass. Um, Again, that sounds like a ridiculous thing if you were privileged enough to grow up somewhere in a park with a park or a garden. Um, But actually lots of children don't have access to that. And there's a big move towards people seem to love plastic grass don't get me started on plastic grass. Um, (laughs) So, you know, even if you've got a back garden nowadays, you might not. Yeah experience that that's That's kind of a new novel so often we're talking about very small things but it also can be quite significant um experiences that we're offering so you might be um you know ponderping fire lighting climbing a tree making something with real woodworking tools um cooking over a campfire and sharing that food with other people um you know these are quite big things social skills there's a lot of community building yeah. There's a lot of being in a particular space for over a long period of time. So repeat engagement is something that Forest School does particularly well. Um, and that's about connecting to really elemental things like the seasons mm-hmm. and the weather and how a space, particularly a woodland, can change through the course of a year. Yeah. Um, so that for me. So when we talk about nature connection, there's lots of thinking and, and discussion at the moment particularly in the forest school community and in the outdoor education community, um, about having failed. So what Steve Van Matra and others were saying is that contact with nature is not enough. So a one-off day visit like I led today, although in and of itself it will have value, it won't change any behaviour, it won't lead to a lifelong love Mm -hmm. of the outdoors and the countryside. Connection is better, so through Forest School um, programmes we can offer more of a connection, so that's repeated visits or, you know, just in your family, um, you know, days out or just spending time in nature with your uh, children that you know, family and friends. That's building up then a proper connection 
So you might be experiencing the change of seasons, you might be cha- uh, experiencing the change of what's around you when wildlife comes and goes through a particular mm-hmm. year, migrating birds, for instance. Yeah. So that would be, we call a connection to nature. A deep connection is seeing yourself as part of that you know system yeah and what we think we might need to start getting back to is teaching more about the underlying processes and systems that underpin the natural world Mm -hmm. so things like the soil cycle the carbon cycle all of those things if you've got some uh you know level of environmental ecological um learning somewhere in your background you you know but i think with the erosion of the curriculum on these topics a lot of that is missing for a lot of children and young people now. They won't necessarily have that basis of why, mm-hmm. um, you know, damaging one part of a particular mm. ecosystem can be so detrimental, not just to that one mm-hmm. particular species or one thing, but to the ecosystem as a whole. Yeah. Because if you don't have that process level understanding, then you won't understand what the impacts could potentially yeah. be. And I think in the face of things like, you know, the massive collapse in insect populations mm. worldwide, um, you know, the massive rise in plastic ingestion and, and mm-hmm. the toxicity of that that we're finding, you know, all of those things that like a single problem, but actually the effects are massive and widespread because of the way that the processes work um, underlying. So that deep connection is something now that's a challenge for us as outdoor educators is how do we now move people towards that mm-hmm. um what are the mechanisms that we need to put in place what changes do we need to make to what we're doing um some of those changes need to come from the top down so we're talking about curriculum change yeah you know, what is taught and how is it taught couldn't be more passionate about yeah. that i don't have my own children but yeah. i can see yeah. that they're, they're they're failing in in some areas where yeah. you know but when i think back to when i was at school the days I remember, I just had a little thought there. It was the day when I went out and we were looking at the bluebells and like looking at all the different types because there's different types of bluebells yeah. and things. Yeah. And, and like, it's I can't remember many of the indoory, you know, mm. you know, sit down and structured lesson. It's yeah. those those days when you're out and yeah. so you work with schools to I help work them. With schools, to, yeah. yeah. So you know, we have a whole range of offer, not just myself but my colleagues across the teams so across mm-hmm. the two counties. So we're working with. Um, young parents and very young children. So we have baby sessions, outdoor, outdoor, natural baby sessions. We have loads and loads of under five provision. So lots and lots of toddler groups, um, including long term forest school programs for, for children under five. Um, often those sessions are not just aimed at the children, but aimed at giving confidence to parents and carers okay. who may be, you know, parents and carers for the first time. Yeah. And they themselves might not have a connection to nature. Yeah. So it's taking away some of the fear factor. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. What do I do with my small child in the woods? It's all dangerous. What's going to happen? Yeah. You know, um, I need to go and spend a load of money on expensive kit. No, you don't. Just a pair of wellies and some some warm layers and you're you know you're good to go kind of thing um and then school so right from um reception through to uh, secondary age children we're teaching often curriculum linked outdoor education Mm -hmm. but a lot of forest school programs a huge amount of work now is taking place in what i call service sector um provision so we might be being asked by either nhs or other public health bodies 
um, other charities and organisations to support children and young people with their mental health particularly. Wow. Um, so the project's running in Winchester. Um, it's essentially a walking counselling group, so yeah. young people can access that. So they're walking through some of our reserves and green spaces in and around the city, um, talking to each other, but mm. counsellors are also on hand to talk to. That's right. And what those young people are telling us is it's far easier to talk to someone in that context uh, and share yeah. what they need to share, mm. but they're also making friends and feeling less isolated. So that's really valuable. And that's kind of, I mean, it's so many different things I'm asking questions <laughs> about. Um, so that kind of informal play space mm-hmm. and the chance for young people to talk to each other and, mm-hmm. you know, not have these kind of overbearing peers who mm-hmm. are parents who are kind of telling them what to do kind of leaving them to learn those social skills yeah um we kind of losing that sterilizing the way they play we are Uh, again another conference speaker a few years ago was bob hughes um very well renowned play worker he's written a lot about play and it's an innate part of a human development is play yeah as the same with lots of mammals um And one of the things that Bob Hughes said at that particular point in time has stayed with me as a challenge. And I probably think about it at least every two or three days. It pops into my head, particularly in a professional context, because there's a tension in what he said and how I can do my job. And that is we have stolen wild spaces and wild time from our children And every time I hear him say it, I get quite emotional about that Mm -hmm. because he's right, because we have, that societally, we have done that. And what children most need is not just access to green space and time to play, it's actually un-adult supervised access to green space and time to play. And as a professional, in a professional context, I cannot give them that. Mm -hmm. So often if any, uh, you know, you talk to any of the people that... um, I've taken through their forest school leadership training. I usually start the very first morning when I meet them by saying, in my ideal world, so we're talking about my better future, if you yeah. like, I would not need to exist as a forest school leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because children would have unsupervised access they'd to decent quality green yeah. spaces. Yeah, yeah. You know, they'd be going and doing that stuff mm-hmm. for themselves. Because of changes in society changes in our landscapes and all of those other things that we've been talking about so perception of certain risks mm. Peer pressure, that doesn't happen anymore kind of and you know the rising technology you mm-hmm. know we're just more um we're just less connected to the outside yeah. world as societally mm-hmm. um so that is you know that's my challenge is that i don't feel i should need to be in existence yeah. doing yeah, what yeah. i do but i am needed Mm-hmm. Um, so it's how do we work towards, you know, that better future, if you like. How do we work towards uh, giving children back that? With an increasing population, that's tough. Um, with ever-decreasing access to green space, that's even tougher. Um, but it's that non-adult adult supervised stuff that's really, really the key bit because we need that for certain bits of our neural development to happen. Um, and that's very, very hard to offer. Yeah. Yeah. So I went um, along to Winchester Uni to a free lecture about pl- the importance of play and oh, learning. Um, mm. Being being a trainer of people as well mm-hmm. with their dogs, I thought how I know 
I know myself how dogs learn when through play. Yeah. People obviously do as well. So mm. I went along and I just didn't realise quite how, you know, they've stripped it back in every area, yeah. you know, and, in, in, you know, you do this many hours before a break and then again more hours again yeah. before a break and and they're talking about bringing it more into universities as well because that's not seen as a playtime is it at no. all but if it actually is beneficial to everyone's learning mm. we need downtime we need downtime for all mm-hmm. kinds of reasons um you know as adults we know that and uh one of the questions that i sometimes ask our trainees is you know what is your form of play what do you do for play yeah so play is intrinsically motivated so there's no reason to do it yeah okay there's no time constraint mm-hmm. um and there's no outcome yeah okay. so what is it that you do in your daily life or you know that you have access to to play mm-hmm. and be playful um it's also often the seat of creativity because you're just problem solving but you're not really realizing you're problem solving Mm. um so yeah we learn a huge amount through through play um one aspect of what i'm learning more myself about at the moment is our physical development and how that's keyed into some of this stuff so we have children um who have difficulty reading and accessing uh, learning to read some of that might be dyslexia, some of that might be other things going on. But something that really blew my mind that I've learned in the last six months is that if we have an underdeveloped proprioception part of our um, physical development, that might be where you haven't spent enough time as a young kid hanging upside down, for instance. I spent oh, most wow. of my childhood <laughs> yeah. hanging upside down from a set of bars in our school playgrounds. My best friend can attest to that because we used to sit there and have a chat <laughs> hanging upside down. Um, if you don't spin enough, if you don't play games that involve crossing your body over, so clapping games or okay. skipping games, those kinds of things. If you just don't go through all of that full range of physical development, what happens when you get to a certain point is that if you're then asked to sit down and read what's essentially a still piece of text, your brain can't detect when you're still, so it will be moving. And all of those words and letters will be jumping up and down on the page and you won't be able to learn to read because you won't be able to focus on them. So. You know, and this is a rise. I I, I speak to staff, teachers, other forest school practitioners regularly who say this is a this is on the rise. Hmm. It's on the rise in schools. We find it more and more often. Um, It's when you see a child who can't walk in a straight line. They can't walk down a straight corridor. Mm -hmm. They might slide to one side or another and walk along the walls or they might pinball across. Mm -hmm. And that, again, is that our this vestibular system hasn't developed so just the right way just for me mm. that is so if they were moving and then learning to stop mm. they there's there's a clear sign of movement stopping whereas if they're not doing enough moving they mm. never know when they're... so it's essentially your brain's not the 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 neural pathways aren't developing your brain yeah to say that that's being upside down is not normal yeah but you need to experience being upside down for that to register for for that to register so you know lots of our neural pathways have to be um things have to be repeated to be laid down you know and that's why Mm. lots of uh forest school practice particularly is about repetition so you might come back to the same skill time and time again and because you've got repeated sessions over a long period of time that's a lot you can do that Mm -hmm. whereas in school you might be learning a skill or you know something new new piece of knowledge in a really short 
period of time because yeah. of time constraints and curriculum yeah. constraints and you don't have time to revisit that because you're then moved on in this linear manner yeah. to the next thing um which isn't really a very natural way to learn so there's all kinds of things bundled up there yeah, sorry yeah. i've been a bit right, i've been, I've been really going a bit off topic but um you know lots of this comes back to the fact that we are animals we yeah. are mammals we are you know organisms that need to exist in the natural world and the more um, disconnection there is between us as animals uh, and the outside world, more of these problems happen, really. Yeah. No, um, I was just thinking how bad I am at reading and how much worse I would have been if I didn't grow up running around like an idiot in the woods and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'm falling in rivers and stuff. I'm, yeah. I'm quite glad I did that when I was a kid because <laughs> yeah. I'd be barely able to read. Yeah. Um, but, that, you know, when you think about the pressure we put on our children under through yeah. our education system as it is at the moment, um, with a very narrow curriculum, with a very linear um, way of lo- looking at learning, with very... Uh, with constantly shifting um, uh, attainment targets that have shifted down the age levels, so we're expecting children to do things faster and younger, um, we've kind of lost sight again of all of the amazing things that we know from neuroscience research, education research, you know, research into what children need to naturally grow and develop. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of discounting that in our in our education systems at the moment. We, yeah. We're not taking the lessons that we know from the last... 50, 60 years of acquiring this knowledge and, you know, 2,000 years of thinking about how we learn. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, and we've kind of got this weird, um, very unnatural system. And it's why so many of our children and young people, one, are switched off mm-hmm. and two, seem to fail. And I use that word with, you know, yeah. all due care, yeah. um, which in turn provides stress and will you know lead to some of these mental health issues yeah. that we're seeing yeah. you know and then obviously um you know uh, limited opportunities later in life for whatever reason mm. so it's a big thing for me you know it's not just getting the children out and enjoying nature yeah, yeah. although it has an intrinsic value i think yeah. it's just the reason i do my job is for my own mental health and well-being and physical health and well-being yeah. is that i need to be outside yeah. for some part at least of most days yeah. well, sorry um, for locking you in a, no that's you know, okay I'm, I'm doing i'm doing shut. fine i don't even think well. there's a plant in here at the moment i think we might oh no there's one above your head oh there's one above my head that's fine then good job um is it so we're we're looking at something that's quite local you're a mile from mm-hmm. here you're kind of based but mm-hmm. um you talked about a national conference we're, mm. we're talking about a national issue international mm. absolutely problem. is it is it part of western society or is this are there countries that do it better not necessarily so originally forest school ethos anyway the the, the uk version of forest school um, was um, inspired by a visit in 1993 from um, practitioners and early years setting staff from Bridgewater College down in Somerset. And they went to Denmark and they went to spend some time there with early years practitioners to yeah. see what was going on. And they came back full of enthusiasm and inspired by what they saw which is a very outdoor-based um, pedagogy where children had uh, autonomy. So they had choice in what they were able to do. They had uh, um, the ability to be 
competent at certain skill sets, so they're you know allowed to develop certain things that they just wouldn't have access to here in, yeah. in a normal preschool setting. Um, so they really took that on board, and that kind of morphed into what is now the UK-based forest school ethos. That was kind yeah. of ratified, if you like, by the forest school community back in 2011, put into a set of principles and criteria. Um, and the Forest School Association was born out of the need from the grassroots community to to have a national body and a national voice to start talking to curriculum mm -hmm. makers policy makers funders you know people who have real power to make a change for our yeah. children and young people about what is needed what is necessary and their strapline is forest school quality forest school for all i'm currently the chair of the forest school association hampshire group oh wow so i you know we get together regularly with people in our patch um we skill share we talk about these issues we find ways to support each other, both through the really rubbish days and, and, and um, tough bits, but also celebrating the successes mm -hmm. um, and really trying to make sure that we are allowing whoever it may be that needs forest school Is and whatever that may look like. So it's becoming more so. It's far more mainstream. What I'm finding a challenge at the moment is that if you don't know, if you're not in the know mm -hmm. about what forest school is or isn't. Yeah. It's become a catch-all phrase to cover all outdoor learning. Okay. So one of my roles, really, as chair of the group and as a trainer, is to try and pick up and and advise people and educate people about where the differences are. Okay. Okay. So, for instance, today I had the school children out for a day visit. There's no. That's never going to be forest school because it's mm -hmm. a one-off visit. Yeah. Um, our top sessions, although they happen semi semi regularly. Um, that's not forest school. It's based on a lot of forest school ideas, but it's not forest school sessions because there's other bits missing yeah. mm -hmm. from the principles and criteria and, and the underlying ethos. So that's a big part of it, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there is. We're training people all the time. There's people all of the time becoming level three trains to deliver forest school, um, and it's becoming far more mainstream. You know, yeah. we, we're often. Uh, it's often talked about in mainstream newspaper articles, etc., mm -hmm. etc. There's a lot of academic research now going on to uh, into why forest school might be of benefit, what those benefits are. Uh, we've had one of the first longitudinal studies come out. So that was a three-year study. We need more of those. Mm -hmm. We need more academic research yeah. longitudinally to look at the long-term effects and behaviour changes uh, and ben positive benefits. Um, so, yeah, it's an exciting time to be part of yeah. the community. Yeah. And I've been a forest school leader now for 12 years. I was kind of in uh, fairly early stages. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I get very, very passionate about it. It's not... No, a, it's brilliant. It, it comes across... Yeah. Thank you. Well, it's, it's not a panacea. It's not going to solve the world's ills and yeah. it doesn't always suit everybody. But I think it's its great strength is in treating children and young people as individuals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's a fantastic um, book by a chap called Alfie Cohn called Beyond Discipline. Had a big, big effect on me when I first read it a few years ago. In which he's talking about how can we change from a compliance based education system to a more community based education system. That's, yeah, that really struck a chord with me. But in there, he cites. Um, a paper by some researchers called Daichi and Ryan, and they were looking to try and pin down what are the three universal 
well, what are the universal human needs? What do we need to feel fulfilled as human beings? Okay, so if yeah. we're thinking about our better futures, mm-hmm. what do we all need as human beings? And the, the three things are autonomy, the ability to make choices. Most of our children mm-hmm. in their schooling don't have that. Yeah. Number two is competency. So the ability to become competent mm-hmm. at what you are doing, master a skill. Okay, whether that's doing quadratic equations in a school setting or if it's, you know, lighting fires and cooking, cooking a meal out of forest school. And the third one is relatedness. And that's about feeling related to other people and connected to other people. So for me, forest school does all of those things in spades, really. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, so that's that's something. That's a thread that I've gone down. Sorry, I've gone on my lateral lateral thinking again. um, We've talked about people, young people, mm-hmm. being involved in the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of maybe go with the Attenborough strand of people are born environmentalists and they mm-hmm. kind of lose it. And mm-hmm. this feels to me like something that I was, you know, always in the woods when mm-hmm. I was a kid. And it's I don't think I'd be who I am now no. if I hadn't kind of mm-hmm. fallen in the river every single weekend. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I and I the woods were kind of part of my life. I kind mm-hmm. of grew up in the woods. And, yeah hung out there when I was a teenager and mm-hmm. drunk beer and mm-hmm. caused trouble and stuff. And mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's kept me in touch with nature and mm-hmm. stuff. So it's great to hear about, you know, how some young people get the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of tips would you have for maybe an adult who doesn't sort of get out and about mm-hmm. and see places and maybe his and think, you know what, I should spend more time outside mm-hmm. or, or someone with kids or, yeah. Maybe someone who's borrowed their niece and nephew for the weekend <laughs> and take them out somewhere. I think one of the things for me, and again, it's a tension that I feel working on a nature reserve that you have to get to by car or coach or yeah. bus, is find your space. Where's your local green space? Where is your patch? When I'm at home in Sussex, I know exactly where my patch is because it's yeah. where I used to be able to walk out from my front door and go roaming. In fact, I visited on New Year's Eve. I did a little little revisit of all of my local patches, you know, at home uh, at New Year's Eve, just gone. Um, and get to know it. Go there. Go kind there. Fall in love with it. Go there and do know. some stuff. Okay? Take a picnic. That's an easy one, isn't it? Go and look for a certain thing. Go and sit and listen. How many sounds can we hear? So are there birds there? So then start learning about the birds. You know, go and visit it right through the year. Just keep going back there and get to know your really local patch. Mm -hmm. Because there will be something happening there. Yeah. You might not realise it. You'd never, if you don't stop and look. Okay. There's loads and loads of... um, You don't need to be an expert. You don't need to be an expert. You can just go out and see. Just go out. You know, one of the simplest activities we often do with the kids is you get a pen and you have a look at your hand, palm of your hand. If you both have a look at the palms of your hands, you'll notice there's lots of different lines here. Yeah? Yep. So you're going to get your pen, you're going to choose just a few of those lines and you're going to draw on your palm of your hand along some of your lines. Yeah. Okay, That's going to become your secret sign. Yeah. Okay. So when you next go out for a walk or to your local patch or to somewhere new, maybe you've driven to the new forest, you've gone up to 100 Acre Wood, wherever it yeah. may be, 
and then your challenge is to try and match your secret sign with the things oh. around you. Okay, so like in the bark of a tree. Bark of a tree, yeah, leaves yeah. and branches, twigs and branches, maybe down on the seashore. The stones. You, you, the stones or the yeah. seaweed or any of those things. I and it's about. There you go. And that's yeah. about starting to think about you as being connected to those yeah, places. Yeah. You're not just viewing it, you're not visiting it and coming away. But you're starting to feel part of that, really. And we are all intrinsically part of. Absolutely that the world absolutely you know. that one of the simplest things that i can remember it a few years ago back in uh down in my auntie's garden uh, in, down in south wales lots of my second cousins children what they actually are to me i don't know third cousins i don't <laughs> know but um lots of small children were there running around being a little bit bored a little bit tetchy i said right come on out um so i said to my auntie have you got any old yogurt pots or whatever yeah. yeah 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 and we literally went out to the back garden and started finding wood lice. I'm now known as the woodlouse lady <laughs> um, whenever I go and visit. But that's such a simple thing. You yeah. know, you're going to find something. Go out. You don't need fancy mm-hmm. kit. You don't need a fancy bug pot with a magnifier. You don't need any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Just a yogurt pot or something to put a bug in so yeah. you can have a closer look yeah. at it. Go and find out what's there. Yeah. Um, and we, we talked about... Um, sort of society mm-hmm. and maybe technology and people spending time indoors mm-hmm. um there's you know there's a few things recently so people doing geocaching mm-hmm. um pokemon go yeah you know if you've seen that making a difference yeah definitely and you know i'm not precious about how people get outside or why it's getting outside is the main thing because what you're hoping for then is kind of that positive feedback loop. Yeah. You know, oh, that day I felt much better. Why did I, why did I feel better? Why did I sleep better? Why did I have more of an appetite? Oh, cause I spent most of that day outdoors. Yeah. Okay. So it's then what is the driver for going out and about and doing those things doesn't really matter in yeah. a way, but the more often you're out, the more often you'll be, you'll start to be engaged, particularly yeah. if you actively start looking for, those things mm-hmm. you know so try not to always have that barrier if you like yeah, yeah. of i'm going geocaching i'm going to find my poker go or whatever it's called uh, <laughs> no idea um i do have an idea unfortunately <laughs> i did get into the fad of pokemon go and what i do find is that because i do look around me yeah. and enjoy nature i mm. didn't and, yeah. I, and i was with people and i was like oh, in a new place and i was like oh i might get some new pokemon here. Right. <laughs> when i think back i'm like what was i doing yeah but um yeah, I wasn't enjoying the people yeah. I was with, yeah. the environment no. I was in. Um, so, yeah, as much as I think, I think... It'd be nice if it bridged over. I kind of, mm. I like the idea of people going out and looking for things mm. yeah. whilst they're out and about. Mm-hmm. And maybe the next thing is to go, why don't I go and try and see if I can catch a photograph of a certain bird yeah. or a yeah. certain... Yeah. Bring the environment it, into yeah. more over, rather than yeah. it being all Move virtual. over to being a twitcher or something. It'd be really interesting <laughs> how many people who got into Pokemon Go mm. who now start looking for birds or different mm-hmm. types of trees or whatever it's kind of got them out kind of interested yeah. in trying to collect that knowledge and experience of mm-hmm. being outside so a couple of things that the wildlife trust nationally do a big campaign during the month of june will be 30 days wild that's a really okay. easy one if you're completely new to it as a parent carer you know interested so you don't on, wash your hair wearing clothes <laughs> exactly go wild <laughs> Um, and that's basically you can sign up to that one you can either access a digital download um, or or you receive a pack schools can also access that program as well 
and it gives you an idea of something wild to do every day for the 30 days yeah. during June. You can record it. Sounds it sounds like a challenge coming yeah, up. Yeah, really does. Podcast. That would be a great one to talk yeah, to you yeah. about uh, in the future and do that with, with you and your listeners. Um, so you get a wall chart, essentially, so you have to fill in what you've done that's okay. wild that day and lots of ideas. Um, they also did, trialled seven wild days of Christmas okay. this year for the first time, which I took part in. So, again, that kind of post-Christmas slump where you might just be sat in front of the telly watching yeah. The Great Escape for the 54th time eating three shows. <laughs> yeah. uh, actually get out and do some stuff instead. Yeah. Another great um, document, if you like, or something to look for is the National Trust uh, did a big program and it's called 50 things to do before you're 11 and three quarters and they've recently revamped that and it's far more open-ended it was quite prescriptive and a little okay. bit you know i was just thinking i've just missed that it was focused at people who could access certain things but yeah. they've opened it up a lot more and it's much less prescriptive so that's a great one okay. to look out for oh, again you can get that as a digital download or it's okay. often available at national trust properties yeah. mm-hmm. and we're, we're um, as, as ever we're kind of put links in the yeah. text yeah these things are great for people different... to get started and, and yeah yeah well, that's really exciting okay. um any particular kind of charities that you'd say they're they're good to kind of do or um, um you know Again, I think for me, it's about being local. So yeah. who is your local person that might be delivering, I don't know, a guided walk or a, a family event where you mm-hmm. can go along for free or for, for a low cost to get some ideas or learn about yeah. your local patch? Um, so take a look at those guys. There's hundreds of people out there doing outdoor education yeah, stuff yeah. In, in all kinds of ways. Um, and then there's other things that you can look for to help you. Once you get a bit more confident, um, the Woodland Trust have... Um, uh, part of their strand of their work called nature detectives and that's a huge range of resources mm-hmm. to access yeah different spotter sheets different things to do wildlife watch are the same so that's the junior arm of the wildlife mm-hmm. trust they have a fantastic website with really great resources to access as well um and it's just about building up confidence but i'd say pick pick a couple of spaces your local ones yeah. it doesn't yeah. have to be woodlands you know it could be open countryside i did one recently and uh, and as it was really great, actually. It was um, just local, mm-hmm. down to me, about a mile and a half down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a bat walk. Great. So it got cancelled because there was rain and there was no point. Mm-hmm. But it rolled over to the next year and mm-hmm. me and Steve have been waiting to go. And when we turned up, it was very family-oriented, but it was very... Oh, I learned loads. I know what bats now are coming into my garden yeah. and things like that. And everyone stayed for a hot chocolate. And obviously, it wasn't. It was a free event, so you buy all the stuff there because yeah. that's where they make their yeah, money yeah. from. Yeah. And then you leave a little donation, you know. Yeah. But and that was just something new to do yeah. in an evening, you know. Yeah, and it's great. incredible. I mean, we spend thousands of pounds flying to the other side of the world mm-hmm. and for a holiday for experiences mm. and. Some of my most memorable experiences have been in in Hampshire. Even mm-hmm. like um, um, me and Nat were fortunate to go out on a to go and see a deer rut, mm-hmm. wow. and it was incredible. Mm-hmm. Even just thinking about it, I, it kind of <laughs> puts my hairs on end. It was just uh, this amazing kind of foggy sort of day where you could barely see what was in mm-hmm. front of you, but you could hear this noise. What felt like miles away in the distance and then we kind of eventually kind of came across followed the sound and a few deer ran out in front of us and mm-hmm. we followed the sound and saw this spectacle in front of us Wonderful. and just yeah i'll never mm-hmm. forget that and that was you know 20 miles down the road yeah. and that's better than any holiday i've yeah. been on it's just yeah it's finding those opportunities yeah. sometimes just having a 
keeping an eye on a website or a, a social media as well local thing. and actually talking to local people what i thought mm. you know when i mentioned my local patch back at home some of my you know memories of that uh my next door neighbor at the time was part of the um, local bird survey yep so he said just a chance um meeting you know um coming out from our cars getting back from work one day and he said, oh, the barn owl's back. So I knew exactly where he meant. Yeah, yeah. The barn owl had always nested there when I was a kid. So we went down that evening. My mum, uh, my sister and I took a little picnic, sat down by the river on this meadow next to the river where the barn owl was going to come out and go quartering um, and hunting for his evening. And as the sun went down, the barn owl came out and we're just lying with our blankies, you know, watching this barn owl swim yeah. around us silently. What a magical, magical thing. Mm. You know, something you never forget, really. Yeah. And yet that was literally half a mile down the road. I, I was lucky enough not long ago to have an owl actually come into my garden when I happened to be just stood out there. So <laughs> you can imagine yeah. what well, a tiny little mind was that. Yeah. That's yeah, the yeah. best thing ever. Yeah. Oh, it, was, it really was incredible yeah. as well. And it swooped right in when I was there. Everywhere, you know, yeah. surrounds us. You, you know, I've been in the most urban environments mm-hmm. and come across some foxes and yeah. things. It's, you don't have to go very far. No, um, no that's great. Oh, well, thanks yeah, for coming to speak to us you. again. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Go outside. outside. <laughs> yeah, get outside. <laughs> inside too long. <laughs> thanks a lot. That's great. Thanks. Well, that was the interview with Dawn. Um, as I say, we enjoyed it so much. Learned so much about uh, what's going on with forest schools. Um, how people can get involved across the UK and across the world. It sounds like an incredible movement. Um, As usual, you can uh, contact us via our Twitter, Instagram and Facebook pages uh, or check out our website at betterfuture.com. Please go on one of your kind of browsers or one of your um, podcast things to subscribe. So via iTunes, Spotify stitcher or you know just follow us online that's great thanks for listening see you next time